0: You may be seated. The question I'm proffering up for your consideration this morning, drawn from our text, Ephesians 2 and verse 1, is this question, have you been quickened with Christ? Notice in a description of our B.C. days in verses 1 and 3, what we were before we were saved, before Christ, we find the first condition that God found us in before he saved us, and the condition was death. People say to me all the time, but what are you talking about, preacher? I'm very much alive. My body's at 98.6. My heart is beating. I've got a pulse. What do you mean God finds people dead before he saves them? Not physically dead. He finds people spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. Now to understand this, you need to go back to Genesis chapter 1. If you could, go back to Genesis chapter 1 and notice the creation account. How God created you and me, how God created man. And, and and really to get the sense of this spiritual death that we all had within us before we were saved, we have to go back to the beginning and see how we were created who you are, and where you came from. Notice in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the creation count is given. The Bible says this in Genesis 1:26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Here we find the creation of count of where mankind begin. And the very first thing I notice about this is the Bible says that you and I were created in the image and the likeness of God. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means you're very unique as a created being. Do you know this morning, regardless of how much you like your dog, your dog was not created in the image and likeness of God? Do you know this morning your cat, was not created in the image and the likeness of God. Only men and women, boys and girls, have been created in the image and the likeness of our God. Amen? And could I just say this? You're not the result of evolutionary chance. You are here today as a direct result of the creative genius of an almighty God. And I want to say it clearly. You're not a piece of goo that climbed out of a slough, landed in a zoo, and now it's you. That is not who you are. Listen, I never accepted evolution when I was a lost biology student and chemistry student in in science, in my high school. The laws of thermodynamics devastated the theory of evolution. The law of thermodynamics says the law of entropy, everything winds down and becomes random, left to itself. The theory of evolution says leave it to itself, and you take father time, mother nature, and lady luck, and zap, suddenly you get something better. Right. The theory can't trump the law. That's right. The law is reproducible, it's provable, right. and you are here not because of evolutionary chance. You are here as a direct result of the choice of an almighty divine creator. His name is God. But I noticed something interesting in our text. You and I, created in the image and likeness of God, tells us something about who we are. Who are you this morning? Who am I? Well, I believe to be created in the image and likeness of God, first of all means, we reflect His being. Who is our God? Look at Genesis 1, 26. It's fascinating how the Holy Spirit of God, in God's Word, reveals this aspect of God to us. It says in verse 26, And God said, Let us... Make man in our image. The Jewish people in the Shema would say the Lord our God is how many gods? One God. And yet we see a plural word, us. That word is Elohim. It literally means three strong ones. And you need to understand the first thing about our God who created us is he's a tri-dimensional God. He's a God with volume. He has three dimensions to his being. You turn him one way, you see the Father. You turn him another way, you see the Son. You turn him a third way, you see his Spirit. God is a trichotomous God. He's a tri-dimensional God. And so what that means to you and me this morning is, first of all, we reflect his being. We're not a single-dimensional being with just a body. We're a tri-dimensional being just like our God. Look in Genesis 2. You'll find the Bible tells you your three dimensions and what they are. In Genesis 2 and verse 7. Notice the expanded creation account of Adam. It says, in the Lord God, Genesis 2, 7, for man of the dust of the ground. You ought to underline that word dust. That's one of your three dimensions. It's your dusty dimension. It's your body. It's a thing most of us in America give all of our attention to. And yet, in spite of Mary Kay and everything she offers, it's still going back to the dust. <laughs> Amen? So you have one dimension. I call it the dusty dimension. It's your body. But then it says this, and God breathed into his nostrils what? The breath, which literally means spirit of life. There's your second dimension. And man became a living soul. There's your third dimension. A body, a spirit, and the soul. Now, we won't turn there, but in 1 Thessalonians, Paul literally prays that their whole, he reverses the order, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the first thing we recognize to get to this thought of being spiritually dead and quickened with Christ, you need to recognize being created in the image of, and likeness of God means you reflect his being. You are a tri-dimensional being, not single-dimensional. You have a body, a spirit, and a soul. Amen? All right? So you're a trichotomous being like your creator. But second of all, to be created in the image and likeness of God, this is a big point now, means you possess his essence. What is the essence of God? I've heard people say, well, God is holy. That's an attribute. He's a holy God. But that's not his essence. Well, God is love. Love. Again, an attribute. He's a loving God, but that's not his essence. What is the essence of who God is? His real self. Go to John four, and Jesus Christ answers that question in John chapter four. Notice what's said here in John chapter four and verse number twenty-four. Jesus Christ says this about the Father, the essence of God. He says this in John four twenty-four. God is. A, say the word with me, spirit. Say the word again, spirit. Do you know this morning the essence of who your creator is is spiritual, not physical? He's a spiritual being. It's not a physical being. The physical manifestation of God is Jesus Christ. God manifest or revealed in flesh, tabernacled in dust. But the essence of who God is, he's a spiritual being. He's not a physical being. Which tells me your essence created in his image and likeness is this. You're spiritual. You're a spiritual being, not a physical being. The real you, I can't see. The real me, you can't see. It's tucked down inside. You and I are spiritual beings creating the image and likeness of a God who is a spirit. Now, go to Ecclesiastes 12. Go there. It's one of those books you're going to spend half your life looking for. But if you just open your Bible to the middle of the Bible, you'll hit the Psalms. The Psalms are the very middle of your Bible and then you go Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes, all right? So open to the middle of your Bible, and then just go a couple books further, and you're going to come into Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes is an interesting book, but notice here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, death is the focus. And it kind of brings us up and kind of brings us toward where I'm working toward. But in Ecclesiastes 12, death being the focus, the question is what happens when someone dies? We've all attended a funeral, what happened to that person when they gave their last breath out of this dusty tabernacle? What took place? Look in Ecclesiastes 12. We're given a command in verse 1 to remember our Creator while we're young, not old. Verse 3 In the days when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Verse 4, the doors will be shut, and the music will get, get turned down low at the end of verse 4. Fear begins to stalk the streets. At the end, in, in the end of verse 5 of Ecclesiastes 12, man goeth to his long home, the mourners go about the streets. Look at, the, look at verse 6. Wherever the silver cord be loose, the golden bowl be broken, the pitcher be broken, someone's died. So what happens when someone dies? Look at verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit... Shall return unto God, who gave it? That temper, temporary tabernacle of dust, when someone dies, falls off.. But the forever part of you, I can't see it, but it's there. It's your spirit. It's the essence you receive from your Creator upon creation. It goes back to God. Who gave it? You know, we get it all reversed in America, don't we? Here's how we look at America we're a body with a spirit tucked inside. No, you're not. You're a spirit with some dust wrapped around it. And when the dust falls off, that forever part of you goes back to God who gave it. And it goes back to Him in only one of two conditions dead or alive. Dead or alive. Go back to Genesis. Watch this. This spirit being named Adam who God had created. Notice what took place. And he was given a single command in Genesis chapter chapter 2. And look at the command that Adam received. God said to him in Genesis 2 and verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the, what's the parameter? Say that word with me. Day. In the what? Day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. die. God made it very clear the day Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they would die that day. So, what happens? Chapter 3, we know what happens. Verse number 6, when the woman saw, it, Genesis 3 6, that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. A tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened, and they kept living. You can track them through chapter 3. They don't die. You can track them through chapter 4. They don't die. You have to go all the way to chapter 5 in Genesis, verse 5, and then you read this word, and all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Then you read, and he died. God said, The day you eat, you die. 930 years later, and he died. Oh, God lied. Oh, no, God didn't lie. That day that Adam disobeyed his essence, that which came directly from God, the image and likeness of his God, the real part of him, the forever part, died. Adam died spiritually. His purebred body took 900-some years to catch up to that. But that very day, Adam sinned. He died spiritually, and he was driven from the presence of the living God mm-hmm. because he, being physically alive, was now spiritually dead. Some of you are looking at me like I used to look at Dad when he would give a history lesson and tell me what happened out on the plains outside Brownton. I'd go, Dad, seriously, can we get to the swimming pool? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of you are going, I don't really care. <laughs> you better care what happened thousands of years ago because it affects you today. You see, Scripture says in Adam, all died. Dead spirits can't birth live spirits into this world. And when you were born into this world, you were born physically alive and wailing at the top of your lungs, but you were born spiritually dead And if you continue in that, and then you died physically, your dead spirit goes back to God to suffer a second death. It's called the Lake of Fire. I didn't write the book. God did. You got a problem with that? You talk to God. He's the author. I'm just the messenger. You see, you were born with a dead spirit. And I'm coming back to this question. This is a big question. Have you been quickened with Christ? You say, well, no, I've never trusted him as my savior. Then you're still dead spiritually on the inside. You may be alive outside, but you're spiritually dead. And that dead spirit needs life. Here's God. He creates Adam and Eve. They're the crowning glory. They're the very ones he wants to spend forever with. And now sin has messed it up. They're spiritually dead. They cannot inhabit and, and be with him. And God has a dilemma. And so he offers fallen mankind a solution. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, watch this. What is God's solution for your dead spirit this morning? It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, notice what's said in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse number 45. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the Bible says this, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, whoa, there's another Adam. He was made a, what an interesting title, quickening, which means life-giving spirit. Who is he? Verse 47, the first man is of the earth, earthy. We know he's Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Just who was this unfortunate Jew that died at the hands of Rome at Calvary. Just who was this Jesus Christ? Some would say, well, he was a great prophet. He was the greatest of all prophets. Oh, he was a great king. Oh, he was the king of kings and is the Lord of lords. He was a great priest. Hebrews says he's the great high priest and only mediator between you and, you and God. But he was something bigger. He was the quickening which means life-giving spirit. Notice what Ephesians 2 says. Go back there and look at how the Spirit of God ties this together. He's the one God offers for your dead spirit. He's the one God gave to make you alive, to bring you life inside, to take your death and turn it to life. Look at what's said here in, in Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible says in verse number 4, but God... Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Who was this Jesus Christ? Who was he? He was the quickening spirit. God became to take your dead spirit and if you'd receive him, He'd make your spirit alive. Man, you know the picture I get? It's the Olympics. I always loved watching the Olympics. I don't care if they're summer or winter. But months before that ceremony's going to kick off, there's a big dead torch up there in the stadium where it's all going to happen. And they take a, a, a torch and they run it through the country, village to village. Famous people get to run with it. You and I have never been asked to run with that torch, all right? But then the last day, the final day, when opening ceremony is going to kick off, one last runner takes that torch. Mm -hmm. They come into the stadium. They run a final lap. And then they ascend the steps. And with their fire, they light that other torch that lay dead and make it come alive. That's what Jesus Christ offers. He offers not just forgiveness of your filthy sin, but he offers you life to make you come alive on the inside side to quicken your dead spirit that you inherited from Adam. First John 5 says, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath say it. Not life. Hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not, not life. life. You know that's a fallacy of religion today. I remember as a youngster, when I would say filthy words, how my conscience would get pricked. I remember as a youngster growing up in my home, how I would think thoughts that would prick my conscience. They would hit my sin sensor and bring me conviction. And I knew I had a spiritual need. I knew I had sins that needed forgiven. And I sensed the darkness and death inside me. I had a propensity to sin, not righteousness. And I remember trying to get that solved, going to church, doing religious things. Could I just say this morning that going to church doesn't quicken dead spirits? Does, does that make sense? Could you not? Do you know getting baptized will make your dust wet, but it will never quicken your dead spirit? Do you understand that? Do you understand the most ornate religious ceremony you can possibly conjure up? will never quicken a dead spirit. It'll just make you feel good emotionally, but it will not light you up on the inside. There's been only one quickening spirit given all of mankind for the thousands of years. You can go from Genesis to Revelation. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you miss him, you miss life. I don't care how sincere you are. I don't care how good you think you are. You are dead. And you will go back to God in a condition of eternal death. Jesus Christ is God's answer for your filthy sin. And for your death inside you. Not your religion. Not your amending ways. Not your good intentions. Those don't quicken dead spirits. Your pastor cannot quicken your dead spirit. Your priest cannot quicken your dead spirit. Only the great high priest, Jesus Christ, can quicken dead spirits. He's the only quickening spirit. And notice how he's verbed. Look at how the Spirit of God calls him. In Genesis chapter 15, he says this. He doesn't just simply call him the second Adam. In verse 45, he's referred to as the last Adam. Wow. You know what that means? He's God's final say for your dead spirit. I remember in the Marine Corps, I was in the air wing. I worked on and flew in EA-6B Prowlers, four-seat attack jammer aircraft. I was an airborne troubleshooter, so it was a full G-suit oxygen mask, the whole shebang. And I also worked off of aircraft carriers because we were a training squadron. We would go down off the coast of California, and we carrier qual our pilots. They had to learn how to take off and land off a flat top. Off a flight deck. I remember every time we boarded that vessel for our 10 day CQ, we had a number of drills they would run us through, but one of them was a very unique one. It was called Rig the Barricade. I can still hear the klaxon sound. And the loudspeakers pipe out, Rig the barricade, rig the barricade. This is a drill, rig the barricade. All hands on deck. And then like little hornets, we come swarming out of our quarters. We come up to the deck. And they're on that big fantail, that ship looking aft, about 100 feet this side of the, the aft end of the ship. There'd be a tow truck over here with two cables attached to it and canvas rags between them. he goes spooling across the deck all the way over to the other side. And then they clevis hitch those two cables onto these huge arms down in the deck, and then these huge arms would would go ahead and stand up and stretch out. We had already stretched it out and gotten it all ready. It would go out. It was like this giant butterfly net on the aft section of the deck. It looked like a giant tennis net, cables and canvas. And you know what the barricade was for? It was for that pilot who was low on fuel. He couldn't afford a bolter, a missed cable. He, He didn't have a second chance to go around. Uh, maybe he had uh, uh, mechanical difficulties in his controls. He maybe had been uh, maybe been shot up. He, he, it was his last chance. He couldn't afford to grab a cable. All he had to do was direct his crippled aircraft into the barricade. Poof. It would catch him and keep him from death. One day, God raised up a spiritual bar- barricade for every one of us that was low on righteousness and fuel. And it wasn't canvas and cable. It was an old rugged cross at Calvary. And he says to you and me that are sinful and dead and disobedient, you don't have to figure this all out. Just drop your pride and come to me. Come to my son and he'll catch you. He'll make you alive. He'll quicken you. He'll forgive you. And when your dust falls off, that spirit that's now alive inside will go home to a place called heaven. God doesn't have an alternate way. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're sinful today, as am I. I don't have fuel to get to heaven. I'm low on righteousness and I'm full of sin. I've been riddled by it in all of its different shapes and forms, as have you. And God says, Come unto me. Come to my Son. He's the one that can save you and quicken you. I have no other options. I've often asked, Why don't people do that? What a deal! God says I'll take your sin if you'll take my son. I'll take you from death and I'll give you life. I'll move you from hell and I'll give you my home called heaven if you just trust what I've offered for your filthy sin. I've often wondered why men and women don't just scream yes and run forward. Maybe the same reason I didn't. Because I just don't see that I'm bad enough to deserve hell. I just see that maybe, and I felt this, God thought like I did. His nature was my nature. I can say, you know, I've tried my best. I want to remind you, you cannot change who God is. He's holy, and he hates sin. He's a God of life, not of death. But he will change you. He'll change you if you'll trust his son. You can't change him. No, I didn't think I was bad enough. I had a picture, I think most Americans, just a little old lamb trying to do the best he can. All we like sheep, you know, have gone astray. Yeah, we're all sheep. But you and I are sheep before Jesus Christ in a condition you can't imagine. I'll close with this. Farm boy, Minnesota, beef operation. Was driving tractors by the age of six. Marine Corps was easy when I got it. I'd already gone through dad's farm. <laughs> I gained weight. The drill instructors didn't scare me. I'd been through that all my life. Strict German family, very strict German family. And I remember one day, I was a six year, maybe seven years old, twin brother Doug and I sitting at the breakfast table on a hot August. And dad said, boys, need you guys to go down and get a couple of sheep. About six telephone poles down, power poles down in the alfalfa field. He said, take a piece of twine and tie them to their hoof. And I thought that was weird, but what I came to realize, these sheep weren't living, they were dead. They'd been sitting out there for two weeks in the hot August sun, bloating. Out there in the 95 degree heat, I'll never forget when we got there. Doug and I, the, as we approached those two sheep, sure enough, there they were. Uh, they, uh, the first thought I had was, why didn't I have more twine? You know, this was way too short. You could smell them before you saw them. They were decaying. They were rotten. They were dead. Next move, I tried to con Doug into getting mine. Empty my piggy bank. He said, no, I got one, you got one. I'm, don't, don't ask me to do two of these things. And I don't know to this day, but you know, here you are, a six- or seven-year-old kid, there's some things you don't forget. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember having to take a breath and then go in there and, and tie a little bit and then come back. Because, I mean, if you breathed in while you were there, everything was coming out. I mean, it was just horrible. We finally got them tied, and then we began to pull those things up. And I remember as we pulled them, they begin to break open in the maggots. And it was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I thought, how am I going to get these into the manure spreader? That's what you did. You threw them in the manure spreader, and you reprocessed them as fertilizer in the field. Now, I don't know how we got them in there. You know, some things you just blot out, you know. <laughs> but could I tell you something? I, I remember I remember, like yesterday, my attitude toward those sheep. There was nothing about those sheep that brought me any pleasure. In fact, the only pleasure I got out of those dead, rotted animals was the moment I could discard them. I didn't want to hug on them. I didn't want to spend time with them. They were dead. They were filthy. Do you know without Jesus Christ this morning, in the nostrils and the eyes of God, that's you. You're that dead sheep. There's nothing about you that gives him any pleasure today, you're rotten, you're filthy, you're decaying, you're dead in trespasses and sins. There's nothing. Don't don't lie to yourself. This God hates death and sin and decay. There's nothing about you right now that makes God even smile. And yet he butchered his son so you could be set free. If you refuse this Jesus Christ, if you refuse God's offer for your filthy soul, your dead spirit, you leave him no choice. His nature must discard you one day forever. Jesus Christ is the only one that makes us acceptable to this holy God. He's it. He cleanses us. He makes us alive. He turns us from disobedience to obedience. If you have the Son, you have life. Well, if you have not the Son of God, you will never have life. And you have quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You say, I'm dead. What should I do? The song says it. If you from sin are longing to be free, look to the Lamb of God. He to redeem you. He died on Calvary. Look. Would you look to that lamb? There's your quickening spirit. There's your life. There's your forgiveness. There's your eternal freedom. If you have him, you have life. It's by our hearts before the Lord this morning. We don't need to stand